Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom's here, Trent's here, and Hunter's here. Trent made the drive over from Startwell this morning. Good to see you, man. I guess I've actually laid eyes on you since the MAIC meeting. Yeah, you've been a little gimped up. <laughs> yeah. Is that the right way to put uh, it? <laughs> Out, out it's of not cir- our fault you haven't seen us. Out of circulation. <laughs> I'm here. I, I am available. Uh, there are some places that are just not scooter I'm appropriate. Scooter friendly. And that's, I'm that's kind of part of the issue. Phone call away. <laughs> you notice where my handicap parking was this morning? At the CAP Center. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I know. I know. That's because uh, they're they're double stacked around the experiment it's, station. It's a, quite a little scooter trip from the CAP Center to my office. Man, you got Did going, they come with batteries? There's no electrical... No. No, no, it's not electric. No. I sent him a link for one with tracks. Tracks. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Hunter sent his link. But that dude had like quad tracks on it, man. <laughs> I don't even know what that was designed for. What was it? I didn't read the description. What was it? Hunting, I guess. <laughs> designed for someone like yourself who needs um, to get into the field. I tell you what, though, man. You hit carpet on that thing. And the horsepower requirement goes up a little bit. Well, you were buzzing across the parking lot. I was going to try to make a witty comment about the fact that the wind was blowing through your hair and everything. I mean, you were moving. Concrete's all right, man. Carpet and and a slope. Thank God for the Delta. No slopes around here. Well, you might have been testing those brakes if you were somewhere else. Well, coming coming down the ramp, you just tap the brakes. It's like going down a hill on a car, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Pump the brakes. Don't lock them up. (laughs) Don't lock them up. It's been my life for the last month. Trent came over this morning, and Hunter's here, and we want to talk about harvest aids on soybeans and on rice, and the two obviously go together oftentimes. And so Hunter, what Hunter didn't say is that he's been out quite a bit too the last month with new baby. That's right. So Hunter, how's the sleep schedule going? Uh, Sleep schedule's good. He wakes up about two or three times a night, but feeding, change diaper, goes right back to sleep. So that's all right. Just getting home was the hard part. We spent about a week in the hospital, but ever since then, everything's kind of quieted down. It's been a lot better. So good. So that was the baby's sleep schedule. What about your sleep schedule? So I do not go back to sleep near as easily as he does. So sometimes when he goes back to sleep, I'm still sitting there for two hours. We all get it, man. I don't know if you're old enough to not be able to go back to sleep. He's not. That's kind of what I was going to say. That's kind of an old man's game, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, you need to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, me too. If I wake up, I'm probably not going back to sleep. I'm touched. I feel the love this time of the year. Uh, <laughs> appreciate it, Dean, is that I am the oldest in the studio. But not, not by much. Not if you by get much. an email from me at 2 a.m., that's why. It's because I can't sleep. You really are too young for that. Trent, I know you've been out and about and looking at stuff. We've, we've talked a few times over the past couple of weeks. So won't you, after last week's weather events, won't you just give us a highlight of where the soybean crop is? Well, obviously there's a lot of acres planted this year. We I think we're up 90,000 predicted total acres for harvest compared to 2021. So things have been all over the board all year with planting dates and maturities. So where we are right now, we are in the cusp of harvest we we have already harvested a few acres and then there's a, a good many that that are ready for harvest here this week as as some field conditions may allow it so we're just at the beginning of it we have a lot of green beans that are approaching maturity and and we'll be ready 
here in the in the next couple of weeks. And, and the tooling around I've done harvest is not widespread. There's lots of acres that are still pretty green. And I've been as far south as Crystal Springs and as, you know, Verona, Brooksville yesterday. I've been a lot of places through pretty much central Mississippi. Hadn't hit south Mississippi yet. What about the rice, Hunter? So this year, I think we've got about two rice crops. We've got the early rice crop and the late rice crop based off of the weather this spring. A lot of that earlier rice we've been cutting for three to four weeks now. Uh, you know, we got a couple more weeks left with that, and I think we'll be wrapping that up. And then, you know, moving into mid-September before we get into some of that later planted stuff. And the later stuff is more north delta. More north part of the state where they got more more rain back early in the spring. To either of you, the weather that we had last week, so today's, what's today, the 30th day of August, when it rained five or six days in a row, maybe more than that, depending on where you were standing, What's the effect of that on the crop now? Four or five days removed from a lot of that. We've had at least some sunny afternoons in the meantime. How has that affected where we are? The biggest effect I've heard is of some rice, you know, south of us here at the station that was underwater for a few days from all the rain. I think they got about nine inches. Some big rains in places. Right there you know, in, the within south. a few days. You know, I'd say that's probably going to have an effect on it. As far as uh, moving north of the station back towards, you know, Bolivar County area, I haven't heard anything negative out of all that rain events other than everybody was ready to cut rice and they had to sit and wait. Right. As far as soybeans go, I mean, obviously we haven't, we just said we hadn't started a whole lot of harvest yet. The problem is is quality. That's the concern, and that's I think that's on the front forefront of everybody's minds right now. Anytime we experience days of rain, cloudy conditions, uh, you know, quality is the first thing that folks become concerned about in, in soybeans. So it's fairly widespread. I mean, it's it's not, you know, the reports I've gotten, things I've seen, is not just in the areas that have gotten the 8, 9, 10 inches of rain. Uh, it's even in areas that got less rain than that, but got rain every day. But, but sprouting uh, seed in the pods and just overall damage that is going to come when you, when you harvest it and take it to the elevator. So that's the big deal, and, and it's been – been a big topic of conversation since about last Thursday. Well, then can't you break some of that down based on planting date in general? So I, I would. So, you know, the, the first thing to say when you sum up weather events like this and quality issues, it's an unfortunate timing scenario. You have a stage of development of those pods at the time that weather event comes through. So that relates back to maturity group and planting date. So at this time, with what we had, uh, what was that, the third week of August, that would be some of our earliest planted acres that would be impacted the most. Beans that weren't quite as far as long, I mean, I've talked to some guys about that, some 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 pods that would have been more in the late R5, not quite R6 kind of category. Those seem to have weathered that, that particular system fine and, and no issues really to, to observe in those fields. It's more of those fields that were in that R6 to R6 and a half kind of growth stage uh, during that, that time that we had all that rain last week. Well, and if you back up about a decade, the comment that just about everybody always said was that a lot of that was related to the color of the actual pod. Gray pod beans don't perform well when there's a bad weather event. The red pod beans seem to perform better. Is there anything to that? Man, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I've, I've even heard my own dad, you know, say that, that same thing. And 
I see the observation in times, and, and it's easy to see what people are referring to when you're in a you know a variety trial scenario when you have all these things next to each other. But I will say that I know for a fact there are some red beans that are having damage and sprouting right now. So, no, I, I don't think that it, from a, a physiological standpoint it's necessarily the color of the pod, but maybe more something else related to the genetics, the genetic background rather of that variety. We talk about that, or we talk about things like that often. And whenever you work environment into it, man, all bets are off because you don't ever get the same thing twice. We can get two years in a row where we get rain two days after a harvest aid application, but the weather in the month leading up to that application could be totally different. So the ultimate results are going to be totally different. And this is the same kind of thing. Red bean versus gray bean, it's just there's too many factors that you got to line up in order to say this happens often with this, but it doesn't happen with this. And I've said this more in the last few years, probably because I have felt a little bit more comfortable making these statements as I've gotten a little further in my career. But if you go back to 09 and 10, and 09 was like the year where it just, everybody remembers it rained and rained and rained. My wife gives me the hardest time about it ever. She's like, you can remember that it rained in 09 like crazy, and you can't remember what I told you five minutes ago. I'm like, it made such an impression on everybody. If you look at some of the plot work we did in those years, looking at just basic quadrist applications of some different rates, and they were mostly multiple applications with and without insecticide, the best management practice at that point in time to attempt to reduce quality issues was focusing on insecticides and dealing with the bugs and not the fungicides. And as a plant pathologist, that's really hard to wrap your head around but there are an awful lot of things that we can't capture, like Jason just said, with plot work. You can set up all the studies you want and not get the right environment. And then how do you actually wrap your mind around what those data suggest? And that's the hardest part is, and we talked about this before we got in here, it looks like any moisture at those specific growth stages can be a bad thing and reduce quality. So it doesn't have to be a 2009 20-inch rain event over a 55-day period or whatever that was that was ridiculous. It can be, in some cases, Hunter said nine inches south of the experiment station. Experiment station had two inches, 2.1 inches or whatever it was over that five-day period. You get north of here, there's less rain. So how does that factor into it? It's There's obviously a component of the environment that we miss. And the one that I've always tried to talk about is it's overcast and that changes the humidity in field situations rather rapidly humidity is always high when it's overcast well not necessarily unless the wind's blowing uh, right hurricane i was thinking about hurricane yep. conditions you know we've had overcast for for days leading up to the front end of hurricane related system getting here and the wind blow and it'd be and it's pretty pretty you know humidity's humidity's pretty, pretty low. low i mean to quote Trent, before we started, and I think rice falls into this too, to a degree, fairly simple environment-wise. I mean, the, the environmental requirements are fairly simple until right here at the end, and then it can just all go crazy at the end. And rice is the same way. I mean, when you get to talking about milling quality, I mean, there's just a lot of factors that we don't really understand 
that work into milling quality with fissuring of that grain and how it's developing when it gets super hot or it gets really humid and cloudy for an extended period of time and it just stays wet. One good thing about rice is at least that your yield is at the top of the canopy and you don't have the challenges that you have with you know lower canopy stuff like with soybeans or with cotton. But still, there's a lot of biomass right there in the top of that rice canopy that keeps things wet too. When you get into these days where it drizzles for a couple hours in the morning and then stays cloudy the rest of the day, it just never, ever dries out. Well, it's also a lot easier to get air to that kernel than it is with the soybean. And I think that that point right there with the air and the movement ahead of systems like last week, ahead of hurricanes, ahead of 10-day forecasts like we got right now, the question is, do I spray this field or do I not spray this field? It's nearly impossible to come up with the best case scenario just because you cannot predict what the environment's going to do. You know, you know, Tom the, said he had rained at his house this morning. Right. I mean, I mean it, right. Was, it wasn't supposed to rain. It, it was just <laughs> enough to put right. some droplets on the windshield, which, right. you know, and it, it did that throughout Mississippi yesterday in the 82 corridor. It was just crazy. It rained Places at our it house. popped up. rained at our house Sunday afternoon, and there was basically no chance of rain. But, I mean, we got probably half an inch, you know, Sunday afternoon about 3 o'clock. Well, to Hunter's point about the airflow, you know, that would, that would beg the question in a soybean scenario – go ahead and desiccate ahead of a weather event to remove some of that leaf material and possibly increase the, the airflow down in the canopy to dry things out faster. But then the problem is, do you expose more of those pods to that weather? So, you know, again, it's it depends. It depends on how much, how much you're going to actually get out of these weather events. You just can't predict that on the front end. With the past few weeks, and it looks like the weeks going forward, you might as well wake up and flip a coin and decide whether it's going to rain that day to make your decisions. I think you're right. Trent, you bring up harvest aid, so let's go ahead and transition into a discussion there. We've got some out for sure. Probably difficult to predict how much because some going ahead and turn in and, and some are not. So let's develop our current weather pattern and talk about a strategy related to that so it rained last week chance of rain today here at least should be okay the rest of the week but then there's a decent chance of rain several days next week so if i've got a field and i'm got to my growth stage what do i need to be looking at to make that decision say tomorrow or the day after for me again i don't know that there's a a perfect solution to you know, an imperfect method of, of forecasting the weather and understanding exactly what we're going to get in that field. But to me, I, I look at it, you know, both from the forecast standpoint and from an economic standpoint. If we're looking at a 10-day forecast where there's a better than average chance of rain every day, I'm going to lean towards not spraying as much from saving the money on the application by not being able to predict the outcome of the weather. And so, in other words, it may rain so much and keep me out of the field so long, that field may senesce naturally by the time I can get into it anyway, and in which case I wouldn't have needed to, to spend the money on that harvest aid. Or it may race, rain so long that I get a lot of damage, and you know my crop may be much less marketable, in which case, again, I would have wasted my money on the harvest aid application way back when. So you know, from that standpoint, if I'm looking at a, a much shorter forecast window where there's a rain event coming and then pretty weather after the fact, I would lean towards spraying it ahead of the time and allowing things to dry out faster on the backside of that event to, to be able to get my machinery in there and get it out of the field faster. 
it's a gamble either way. Sure. And that I think that factors in environmental situations who are not necessarily aware of in addition to what has happened prior to you actually desiccating that crop, if that statement makes any sense. Because I think it's compounding issues that may factor in the quality over the entire season and not just what happens at the end. Yeah, you know, we can talk about physiology to a certain degree and and what causes some of these potential concerns. And we talked earlier about the stage of development of that pod at the time of that event. And then, you know, to Tom's point, let's look back to weather condition, environmental conditions as a whole when that plant is setting pods. So we set pod size at a certain point, right? And then we fill those pods at a later time. So it's possible that we have the right or wrong environmental conditions at that time that we're setting that pod size. And then we have a complete change in environmental conditions that may be more favorable for seed development. And those seed can simply outgrow the size of that pod. So when we outgrow the size of that pod, we rupture that pod seam, allow moisture in, and anytime moisture gets in, regardless of, of what caused it, there's there's quality issues. At the same token, we may have a genetic factor in this that has large seed in those varieties, and those large seed, year in, year out, will traditionally outgrow that pod size and, and can potentially rupture that seam where the two halves of the pie joined together, again, allowing moisture in. Hunter, is there a scenario where a harvest aid application on rice would be a positive practice? You're moving along good and you've got clear weather uh, and you know that this field is not going to be ready to cut. By the time that you're able to get to it with your equipment, go ahead and desiccate in that so that you can keep going, I would say is a positive. The problem with this year is, like we said, we don't know if it's going to rain or not. So if you desiccate that field thinking you're going to be there in three days and then it's 10 days before you're able to get there, well, then you've got a problem. We only have one harvest aid that's labeled for rice for desiccating the crop, and that's sodium chlorate. And the work that we've done over the years, I mean, you're exactly right. If you get more than three days, Chris, the varieties we did that on are long gone now, but there's no reason to think that that particular thing has changed all that much. But I mean, if it was more than three days, it started going sideways in a hurry after that. So I would, I've always encouraged people to, to use caution with that. But I think you're right. I think a year like this year, you know, I wouldn't push it as yeah. much as if we had a clear forecast. If I could get it out tomorrow and get my combine in there before Saturday, Sunday, before the chances of rain go back up, then I think there are situations where it's worth a gamble. All right, Trent, let's cover some product selection for desiccation in soybeans. What products should farmers be focusing on? Okay, well, there's there's a few labeled options, but the main ones that we focus on in the way that we use harvest aids here in Mississippi, which is to target the crop itself, not necessarily weeds that are growing in the field, would be Paraquat, uh, sodium chlorate, and Sharpen. So I'd say that, that Paraquat and, to some degree, a tank mix with sodium chlorate sees more acres than, than you know, any other combination of these. Obviously, the rates, you know, rates and things change. For Paraquat, it's a quarter of a pound of Paraquat is going to be the harvest aid use rate, which is less than what we would, you know, use in a burndown type scenario. Uh, sodium chlorate is a six-pound rate unless we tank mix it with, with Paraquat, in, in which case uh, a three-pound sodium chlorate 
uh, is is adequate in that tank mix. And and generally the recommendation there is if we have excess green material in the field, it's a good idea to include that sodium chlorate. So if we have butter beans or a lot of green petioles and stems, or even you know heavy grass pressure would be another example. Sodium chlorate tank mix with paraquat is a good idea. And then sharpen is, uh, I guess in the grand scheme of things, is a relatively new option for harvest aid use in soybean. It's, it's had a label for seven or eight years now. That rate range is one to two ounces. Uh, and the work we've done, an ounce and a half, seems to be the best option within that rate range for use as a harvest aid. Things to consider when thinking about using sharpen, it it is a little bit slower acting than paraquat or sodium chlorate so you know be prepared to give it uh, five or six seven days in appropriate weather conditions to to do its job i think that that it's a a good option in in places where you may be worried about neighboring field status so for example soybeans next to rice fields it'd probably be a a good idea to consider an application of sharpen instead of one of the other two hunter does that mesh with, with some of the things you've seen yeah so one of the biggest things i've heard since I started this year was, you know, growers telling me that they had to quit growing rice because they would grow a great rice crop and then it would just get hit at the end of the year with desiccation from soybeans. There's been a lot of work done here in Stoneville on that. And I think one of the things is at that time, we didn't know as much about those herbicides and how they were affecting our crop. We've got a lot better at that. We know a lot more about it. We can be a lot safer now that we know that. Also, some of the rates that were used in that research and the timings that were used, uh, I don't think that we should be scared of growing rice just because we're desiccating soybeans. Uh, and, you know, Dr. Bond, you might want to talk about some more of that work that was done previous to me getting here. Doctor. Jason. <laughs> Cut it out and move it to it. Hunter's right. We've done a lot of that work over the years. Justin McCoy's entire dissertation was on late season drift of soybean harvest aids onto rice. I started to say paraquat, but he had all of them. He included paraquat and sodium chlorate and combinations of them. And then Tamika Sanders, her dissertation also was on paraquat drift on rice, and about half of that was tailored toward late season stuff. You know, we've always struggled with the rate and how to do that work. And so you just pick a rate and go with it. The accepted number for the range of rates in a drift event is one-tenth to one-one-hundredth of the application rate. So we've always chosen to go with worst-case scenario and do a tenth of it. So in the case of the desiccant applications with Paraquat, we did 1.6 ounces. So that would be 10% of the one-pint application of, in this case, Gramoxone SL harvest aid application on soybeans. And that rate is a little high. It's worst case scenario, but then below that, who knows? You know, we could control it by saying this is hopefully worst case scenario because mm-hmm. it's the high end of the rate that's been published in other work. And so what McCoy found in his stuff was that we did get an effect on yield. We got an effect on milling all the way out to 28 days after heading. But as Hunter said, and and then as I've tried to make a point here, that was with that 1.6 ounce rate. Worst case scenario, so hopefully it's somewhere below that. Then Tamika's stuff came in, and, and we tried to bridge that gap, but we missed. We tried some different rates, and we got too low. Our, the rates that Tamika evaluated, basically there was no effect. And she was down in that 
half-ounce range was the high end of hers and going down from there. And with those rates, we had no effect. So we, we kind of missed. We shot in amongst them and just missed. And so it's somewhere between that. So, yeah, I think you're right. So it depends on the timing and it depends on the dose. There's rarely two that are going to be two cases where those two factors are going to be identical. But I think on the the later stuff, 21 to 35 days after heading and then a super low rate, I think we have overestimated at times the effect of that based on the work that we've done, which, again, I can't say it enough, is worst-case scenario. You know, hopefully there's not going to be a case worse than what we're telling you. My biggest thing is I just want to dispel the misconception that we can't grow rice because we're desiccating soybeans because there's two things there you can – we know we can use sharpened. We know we're a lot safer with our paraquat, knowing the effects that it has on rice up until basically it goes in the combine. And then also the fact that we know that just because we get paraquat drift, you know, even at a low rate, it may not be that detrimental. Just because we had a drift event doesn't mean that we're hurting our rice for sure. Uh, it takes a higher rate from that drift event. Hunter, you'd, you'd really pointed out before we started recording that where we are growth stage wise with our rice, we're probably a little safer than we have been in the past. Do you want to expand on that when it comes to the impact of, of paraquat injury on rice? So, you know, that also ties back into what we talked about with where we are on harvest and our rice. So a lot of that earlier rice, you know, we're looking at being done with that harvest the next couple of weeks. And as Trent mentioned, we're just now, you know, we've got some soybeans that's desiccated and then we've got some soybeans that he's getting questions about should i so you know a lot of our rice is coming out this year earlier than where those applications are going out on soybeans so you know that also gives us some safety just by the fact that the rice isn't going to be present to have that drift event occur and the only other thing that, that i'll add on on the harvest aid topic we've described a lot of scenarios here and i think the thing to remember is not to paint a uh a certain picture one way or the other these are tools in our toolbox there's a there's a time and a place to use them regardless of the crop uh and and there can be incredible benefits to using them but there's always pros and cons with each management practice that that we have so you know it just depends on the year and the field and the situation as to to the expected benefit from these management practices. Thank you both it's good to see y'all. Trent I, I don't think I'd seen you since MAIC either but I don't I don't remember, so it's good to see you back in Stoneville. Hunter, as always, good to see you. Glad to hear that the baby's doing well. Mama's doing good, too. Uh, as always, if you need any of us for one-on-one consultation on any of these topics, just feel free to track us down. I think sometimes that's the best way to do that. There are no stupid questions. Just call and ask. I think that's the best way to get some help, and we're pretty easy to get hold of. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.